2: Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to Big Blend Radio's Military Monday show. So every first Monday, we chat with military history author, uh, military history author, like what, 21 books, I think it is uh, right now that Mike Guardia has written and published uh, with different places. And uh, he is an award-winning author. So not just an author, but he really focuses on military history. He's also a US Army veteran. He was named author of the year in 2021 by the Military Writers Society of America, and you may have seen him on the History Channel series, I Was There. He was a featured historian in the episodes of the Johnstown Flood of 1889, the Chernobyl disaster, the Battle of Stalingrad, and the Oklahoma City bombing. And uh, his latest book, uh, go get it. It's very, very cool. It is called this: "The Combat Diaries: True Stories from the Front Lines of World War II." So his website is mikeguardia.com, and you can also hear his interviews with us on blendradioandtv.com. So every first Monday, tune in for his episodes with us. And today we're going to be talking about leadership lessons from the military, military heroes. You know, life throws us curveballs, right? Whether they're personal, whether they're at work, Mm -hmm. whether, you know, if you're going through school, um, Life is just not a bowl of cherries, right? (laughs) As we might say. (laughs) Um, So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about how to get out of those situations, looking at three gentlemen who have all served and uh, have all been covered in Mike's books. One of the books uh, is coming out this fall. So we're going to talk about Hal Moore, also Paul Gorman, and then we're going to talk about uh, Mike's newest book coming out and kind of get those stories of leadership. So welcome back, Mike. How are you?
2: hey i'm doing great always a pleasure to be on the show
0: hey uh, so are you enjoying summer in minnesota
2: oh yeah that'd be beautiful yeah. right oh it is this is probably like the only three months of qualitatively nice weather that we have
1: oh wow <laughs> <And> <laughs> so happens.
2: i got to enjoy it while it lasts yeah
0: oh yeah yeah
2: because yeah. the cold's you know, gonna sneak up on you
0: it's mm. coming i know isn't that yeah. weird yeah. <laughs> like, isn't, it weird? isn't that weird? not that weird? So no, I, I well yeah because you think you, you know it's all warm and everyone's going through a heat wave and then all of a sudden you turn around yeah. and it's like what because mm. fall is not necessarily easy warm. right up there. It,
2: it uh, I think the temperature starts to drop a lot around mid October so mm. yeah it's like uh, I, I think Ooh, that's yeah. really the big shift. You know, you start getting down into like the 40s and the 30s and stuff like that. Mm. It's all downhill for probably the next six months before the first thaw.
0: (laughs) Well, we talk about the weather, but this is something about when you're serving in the military, um, whether you're in training or actually out in battle, right? The weather doesn't necessarily go with what you want, right? So, you know, I was looking, even the Civil War was fought over you know, some of the hottest, most humid days and some of Mm -hmm. like World War II, you you did a World War II looking at Christmas Eve and snow for, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the soldiers, your children's book. Um, So it's kind of like, that's a whole other deal for overcoming what you maybe are not used to as a human being. Does the military, like- help you with acclimation to weather, like if Hal Moore, who we're going to be talking about, and you've, uh, you've got three books on Hal Moore, um, mm-hmm. going to Vietnam, do you think he, w- he was ready for that?
2: I think so. You know, one thing that I've noticed is that at least in these modern times, there is a big effort to try to acclimatize any soldier before he goes anywhere. Um, you know, I think that in Hal Moore's case, he was lucky in the sense that he was doing the bulk of his training um, in the middle of Georgia in what was the dead of summer, which uh, is pretty comparable to yeah. the heat and the humidity that you would experience in South Vietnam. So, uh, you know, you try to have these different training uh, spots and you try to have these different, um, you, you uh, try to have these different training places. All over the world in a lot of different environments so you can replicate a lot of the conditions that you will see on the ground once you go anywhere
1: well, yeah. like 29 palms. i mean right. that's a, that's a good and place. NTC. yeah mm-hmm. yeah louisiana the
0: doing the louisiana maneuvers we sure. still got to do a show mm-hmm. on that yeah <laughs> actually they're it's recreating awesome. that they're driving tanks um next year or i'm gonna have to i'll email you on this there's a whole uh, effort where they're taking all these historic tanks and and driving them down the streets of Louisiana of where the Louisiana maneuvers happened, which is pretty cool. So maybe that'll be my chance to go in and take a peek in a tank and have a look at what you, what you went through, you know, and see what it was like. But uh, Hal Moore, so this is your, you've got, we're talking about three uh, gentlemen today, Hal Moore, mm-hmm. uh, you wrote this book with Hal Moore, the late General Hal Moore, Hal yeah. Moore on leadership winning when outgunned and outnumbered. So he was your first pick of really talking about uh, sharing a story, um, why you, uh, I mean, Having been to the museum and uh, read your three mm-hmm. books, um, we could be here all day talking about lessons and leadership from Hal Moore, but what yeah. really stands out to you about him that when you think about going through life's challenges, because the world is right now, everybody right. kind of feels challenged, whether it's mm-hmm. inflation, whether it's COVID, whether it's climate change, whether everybody's changing jobs. I mean, it just is a kind <laughs> of a crazy period. So I'm really glad we're doing this. What was it about him that you decided? I mean, I know that's like a dumb question, but.
2: (laughs) Well, gosh, Um, I think if I can narrow it down to really only a few tenets, it would probably be um, one is that whatever life threw at him, he was very easily adaptable and uh, he was adaptive to any number of the circumstances that he faced. And what I admired about him probably more than anything was his ability to keep a cool head and uh, his Mm. ability to really contain his emotions and not overreact. I mean, I I think that was the one recurring theme that came back to us in all the conversations that I had with him was that, you know, don't overreact. And more Mm. importantly, don't overreact to an overreaction, because Mm. when you do that, things only escalate, and it will take the situation to places where you absolutely do not want it to go. Um, yeah, so so that, that I think has been the most critical thing that I've taken away from those conversations, and really the thing that I try to reiterate um, to any number of the students that I have taught at the college level. It's like, you know, there are going to be very unpleasant situations that you find yourself in, but probably the one thing more than anything else that will increase your chances of coming out on the other end of that successfully is do not overreact.
1: That's
2: hard, especially for
1: women. Yeah, yeah, well, no, I was reading reading the other day about a school shooting, which is so unfortunate. I mean, I I think this, this is crazy where kids are shooting other kids. And this one little girl um, covered herself in blood and and pretended to be dead. And now before, I think she's 13, that I find absolutely, on the one level, I find it horrific that she should ever, or anyone should ever have to do that. But the sense that she had to do that, and it saved her life. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty amazing. It's horrible that our children should have to go through anything like that. And I'm hoping in the future, schools will do something security-wise that can prevent. But, you know, when you think about it, there's certain people who just have this ability to keep a cool head, think it through, and take an action. Not everybody has that. I think you know if they they could if they could calm down and but you know maybe some people just can't calm down mm-hmm. and you know when they looking at a thirteen year old I find it amazing so I'm you know I hope I get to see more of what this girl does in her future.
2: Mm-hmm. Well. I think it is a learnable skill. It's just Mm. uh, something that takes a lot of conscious effort and I think it's best to learn it really as part of your formative years, because I think, I think the adult mind once it gets to a certain point, um, you know, probably maybe ballpark 50 years old or so. I mean, I, I think the ability to get out of being set in your ways is exponentially harder.
0: I love what now you're talking be careful about this. there. I know. I'm like I'm getting towards there, Mike. I'm not there yet, but it's it's looming. It's saying come hither. But you know it's it's, it's well, well, coming. It's like, dude, what is happening? But you know, when you when you look at this, it's I feel like a lot of the reactions is fear. And when you think about being in Vietnam, like Hal Moore was, and I mm-hmm. think you should give everyone a little background on Hal Moore, just in case you don't know who Hal Moore is. He's legendary, but. Um, going to Vietnam and all these situations, a new war. It wasn't like World War II. It was a different, Mm -hmm. completely different Mm -hmm. war. I mean, the Korean War was before, so there's that too. Mm -hmm. But um, that, I mean, there's fear. And he talks about being outgunned, not just outmanned, Mm -hmm. outnumbered, outgunned, and to not lose your cool Mm -hmm. and freak out. I mean, I think about, we've talked about uh, prisoners of war on the show. How do you not just really, you can't, And, and there's, People that just held on to the information no matter what torture. So that's that same mentality, right? To be able to go through that. Right. Mm.
2: Absolutely, it is. You mm. see those recurring stories of resilience.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does, does the military teach that?
2: Well, it does to an extent, I think. I don't think it does it directly. It's more something that they teach a, as a matter of in direct course and I think really they do that through all of the all the stressful situations that they put you through whenever you're in a basic training environment Mm -hmm. Um, because from what I understand and even when I look back on my own experiences you know they uh, they try to make it as intentionally stressful and as intentionally difficult as possible uh, to try to get you used to dealing with that level of stress. And, Mm. uh, I think the baseline argument that they use for that is, well, you know, Hey, we want to make sure that you can function if somebody is screaming at you, because if you have that as your foundation, then you're much more likely to be able to function, you know, when grenades start going off and stuff.
0: Mm. Right. Yeah.
2: They teach that indirectly as a part of all the different course modules that they have. And, Mm. uh, you know, it um, and I think uh, really you know, it, it's it's almost ironic but I think that uh, throughout the course of anyone's military career you will be assigned to units where you serve under toxic leaders or you serve under leaders who either intentionally or intentionally yeah. will will, uh, will 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 try to make things, um, much more difficult than they have to be. Mm
1: -hmm. And,
2: uh, you know, when you serve in an environment and under a leadership structure like that, I think it, uh, I think that also in a very indirect sense makes you more resilient because, you know, you, you, for lack of a better term, you have to put up with other people's nonsense. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it's nonsense that you probably would not deal with in any other organization.
0: And and that's the same mm-hmm. thing. Like well mm-hmm. and and well and this is matter. This is, I think, why it's so important to do this show. And I know we're going to do part two next month.
1: Right.
0: Is that we're talking matters of life and death. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about this with you know medical personnel, military pilots, right. anybody in those situations. And when we think about being at work and having a real crappy boss, and then you start getting into the gossip machine and then everybody starts the whining thing. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really get you anywhere. I mean, you can have your Mm -hmm. moment, but it it really doesn't get you there. I remember growing up, um, you know, as you know, we had a little bit of a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And Nancy would always tell me, you can freak Mm -hmm. out after the situation. She says, during a situation, if you Mm -hmm. become basically a baby, that's a luxury. You do not have luxuries during situations. Right. That is a luxury. Yeah. And that is something you can, once a situation is over, look back on, then you can do your thing. But I think in the military, even in, in, in a battle, you don't even have time, right. To kind of freak out, freak out. I mean,
2: hmm. I mean uh, you know, it, it's uh, i think it's luxury that um no no servicemen or or um any type of service personnel can really have i mean then i don't think that that's uh i don't i don't think that that's limited to the military i think mm. it, i i think it extends to police officers and first responders exactly. as well
1: yeah that's mm-hmm. that's called your pilot you know mm-hmm. um well, because it's so, I mean, it's, it actually makes you weak you're expending all your your energy and and emotion in the wrong place at the wrong time you can freak out after if you need to that's fine whatever Mm -hmm. but during a uh an emergency or a battle or whatever yeah you gotta to me in my mind i'm like you lay low and mm-hmm. and be calm, cool, collected, and and suss it out, and see what avenue is the best avenue for you personally to take. Um, and if you have others with you that you're caring for, absolutely, what's the best way out? What's the best thing to right. do? And if you're freaking out and screaming and yelling and crying, mm-hmm. you can't think and do that at the same time. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't I don't think you can. I think you have to choose it the luxury i i think it's a luxury to have the emotions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as yeah. opposed you know and you I'm not can feel it later though feel yeah. stuff. i'm just saying that during an emergency i don't you know to me a luxury to freak out is that's a luxury it's not a best choice doesn't help anybody and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of a breakdown i don't know
0: well you you know when Maybe you're a performer Well, as a performer and even doing live radio shows, we all have stuff that goes wrong. And Mm -hmm. instead of, we've done live on location things where internet, we've been in haunted buildings even with like (laughs) weird stuff. I mean, really weird stuff. And I mean, I've actually, I've run through hotels and like moved people off the front desk and taken over. I mean, it's like, it's crazy, Mm. you know taking over their internet and whatever. During a live show, and, and you cannot freak out. You you can laugh on that kind of thing. but well, it's you, funny. Right. You know, it's kind of a different thing. Mm-hmm. Performers have that. The show must go on. Look at the Titanic. Yeah. When the Titanic mm-hmm. was going down, They the band kept playing. I mean, it's yeah. like, you got to keep the show. Band but on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like this famous thing. Can you give everyone, and uh, this will introduce those who don't know about yes. Halmore. So, everybody again, um, Mike, 21 books. I, I hope I've got that right. Is it 22? I might be screwing that up. Um, but it's, it's over 20 24. Books. Yeah. 24? Oh, wow. Yeah apparently oh, no. I, I can't count after 21 so no that's what it is I think that's why it's still stuck if I had 21 it's yeah. like I can't yeah. count past that because I'm still 21 but <laughs> you know, so I'm staying there oh but, yeah. Boy. yeah 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 right but that's um, good because
1: I get to be okay. younger then
0: yeah okay there you go so the the thing mm-hmm. is how yeah, more you've got three books on him so everyone mm-hmm. mikeordia.com go to amazon all that great place but um and just give a example of that leadership under fire of not losing
2: mm-hmm. his cool. Okay, well, let's see. Um, to anyone out there who is not already familiar with Hal Moore, if you saw the 2002 film "We Were Soldiers," uh, that is, um, and uh, that is is a film that that stars Mel Gibson and. Uh, Mel Gibson in that film, he plays Helmore. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that 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 chronicles Helmore's leadership in the context of, of the Battle of Aydrang. And uh, just one example that I can point to um, within that battle was uh, probably the second day of the battle um, where they knew they had casualties mounting and uh, mm-hmm. they knew that they had one platoon that was cut off from the, uh, from the rest of its company. And they knew that they were going to have to send a rescue force out there to recover that platoon, assuming there was anyone left alive. Um, you know, he knew that the odds at that point were not in his favor, but he said, uh, the thing that really helped me through was one, knowing that we can default to our training because when you're in any type of a stressful situation, you will always default to what, what, whatever your lowest level of training is. And I knew that all the training that we had been through up to that point was going to see us through. I also knew that we had very tight communication. And I knew that we had a lifeline, so to speak, with the supporting artillery and also the close air support that we had throughout the campaign. So I knew that uh, that was going to be an equalizer. I knew that if I could, if I could harness all of those indirect fires and that close air support that uh, that would keep uh, that would keep the uh, the NDA and VC units from outflanking us and uh, being able to overrun our position. And if we could gain ground, even if it was only inches at a time, then we would show the uh, we would show the enemy that uh, even in the face of enemy fire that uh, we we were not going to buckle and yeah the best analogy that uh, I think I can use for that is uh, to try to liken it to a football game where you're just where, where you're just moving the ball down the gridiron only one yard at a time.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: so this uh, this is a really good lesson because he goes to what do I have? What mm-hmm. do we have as a team? So as a leader, mm-hmm. it's not just about me. it's a team. Mm-hmm. What do we have? So going to yeah. the positive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: you know. From there, you gain strength instead of going, well, we don't have this.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, So, and
2: I think it's several times throughout that fight, it would have been incredibly easy for him to do that. But uh, no, he just said, well, hey, you know, I I have confidence in our equipment. I have uh, confidence in our training. I have confidence in all of the supporting assets that we have. So, uh, you know, knowing that I am tied to a timeline That can only bring back reinforcements via helicopter, maybe every fifteen to forty-five minutes if we're lucky. That uh, you know, I know that we're going to see this. I know that we're going to see this thing uh, through to the end, and I know that we are going to come out on top.
0: This Mm. is this is you know such a good. I love that it's it's so Mm -hmm. good. I mean it's it's resilience. You know it's it's like gives you that backbone um right. so Helmore, everyone and definitely again uh mike's got three books on Helmore. but don't you still teach his lessons in leadership do you still go mm-hmm. and do speaking engagements on that
2: i do that's mm-hmm. awesome
0: so mikeguardia.com everybody sorry i gotta be the plug queen here all right so now paul gorman uh is the okay. other gentleman you want to talk about uh your book danger forward uh, chronicles uh-huh. his story and Am I allowed to say he's a badass? Like, I mean, pretty much everyone you're talking about are they badasses, right? Um I agree. but yeah, it's give because it, this was when when did this come out? Was it last See, year? See, this
2: was yeah, yeah, this was just last year, 2021.
0: Yeah. So mm-hmm. I remember it going, holy cow. But uh, give everyone an overview of Paul Gorman and then let's get into the nitty-gritty of his leadership lesson.
1: or Alrighty, life
0: lessons, so, really. Yeah. Okay.
2: All right. So Paul Gorman, he is. A 1950 West Point graduate, and let's see if I can give you an executive summary of everything that he has done. You know, he was a young combat leader in the Korean War. He graduates, uh, he, got, he graduates, re- really quite literally just in time to, uh, you know, to, um, he graduates just in time to serve in Korea, and uh, you know, he uh, he cuts his teeth on combat at the Battle of Pork Chop Hill and uh, decides to stay in the military afterwards, you know, and uh, his uh, baptism by fire in, on the hilltops of North Korea is one for which he is awarded for valor. You know, he stays in, he's uh, in the inaugural years of this thing we call the Cold War, and fast forward into the 1960s, uh, this is the start of our combat mission in Vietnam. He's the commander of American forces at the Battle of Bong Trang, uh where he is awarded the distinguished service cross and not only that after he uh redeploys from his uh, first tour in vietnam he's working in the pentagon where he becomes the chief architect of the pentagon papers and uh oh, yeah and, and then owing to that he gets selected to be a delegate to the to, to the to the paris peace accords and you know he's, he's he's actually trying to broker a a, a, a peace settlement with north with uh, North Vietnam, and uh, afterwards he um, you know, he of course stays in the military. Beyond that, he is uh, instrumental in rebuilding the army from its post Vietnam malaise, and then after all of that, he takes command of U.S. Southern Command um, at a time when it is probably the the um, the most intense period in ma- 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 modern Latin American history, mm. you know, because when, when, when he takes over uh, Southern command, yeah, he has a uh, slew of problems that are stretching from the Southern end of Mexico, all the way down to Tierra del Fuego. You know, and, right. and, and not the least <clears throat> of which was the Sandinistas and mm. the, uh, the Contras, the invasion of Grenada, you know, mm. the ongoing love-hate relationship with Manuel Noriega yeah, he was, he was there, had a front row seat for all of it.
0: Wow. Yeah. It, which one was, was it him or uh, maybe I'm completely wrong or how more that taught him math and taught themselves math in the bathroom. Who yeah, that was, was how that? more. Okay. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'll never forget that part. You know, just, I got my, 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 my guys mixed up there, but you know, that he just Paul Gorman just kept going and going and going and and I'll never forget that about the Pentagon papers going like mm-hmm. you just didn't stop you know do you think West Point helped him in his mindset and training of continuing to move forward because he to me he's like a rhino where you just you can't stop him from charging
2: <laughs> yeah well I don't think that West Point necessarily helped him in that regard I think oh. that was real that I think it was really just something he was born with, and Mm -hmm. I think he would have developed it um, regardless of any college that
1: Mm -hmm. he
2: he went to. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that what it's, I think that what it did for him was, you know, just take what was already there and maybe refine it for him a little bit more built on that solid foundation that he already had was well, either uh,
0: one who liked um, west point or didn't one of them didn't i'm getting them all meddled up here i don't think
2: <laughs> either of them liked it really
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i remember one of them thought it, it could yeah. do better <laughs> that it could do better yeah. or something i remember something yeah. about that yeah uh, but this I as a matter of fact Don
2: story said that as well
0: Oh yeah, that's right. That's that's yeah. I think that's where it all started. Yeah, that they just yeah. thought it could be better, you know. Right. And I just the first time I heard about West Point was learning Civil War history.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: about going to West Point was a big deal. And now it's like mm-hmm. it's just the history of that is is pretty incredible. So what story would you say would be a good life lesson from Paul Gorman? Well, let's see. Oh my if gosh. I
2: yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah. what's hard so, about
0: this i mean it's like yeah
2: right we'll might let's have see. to write I think, another book on him <laughs> yeah yeah so i think the i really think the biggest overall takeaway from paul gorman would be always to think outside the box and mm. um that was something that he was not afraid to do um because i think too often we we really re- re- really tend to um we we, we we really tend to put ourselves, you know, lockstep into whatever organizational culture we find ourselves in. Mm-hmm. And he was not afraid to step on anybody's toes. And uh, you know he, he 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 was one who uh, he, he never wanted to, he never wanted to find himself being someone who was missing the forest for the trees. You know He said, mm-hmm. you know, hey, look, um, if I want to get to the front lines of Korea, But the army is giving me orders to go someplace else. Let me think outside the box of how I can manipulate the system Mm -hmm. to my advantage, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think I would be better serving the army on the front lines in Korea than I would, you know, manning the Iron Curtain in Germany. Mm -hmm. So let me get on a train all the way over to San Francisco to Camp Stoneman, so I can, uh, you know, say hi. Here I am. My name is Paul Gorman, and. I'm supposed to have orders to go to Korea. Yes,
1: I, and, I love this story. I love yeah, it. And yeah, and, <laughs> so cool.
2: yeah, and and then all, all of the base personnel reviewing their documents saying, well, gosh, Gorman, I, I don't seem to have your name on my list. And uh, then Paul says, <laughs> OK, well, you know what? That's OK. I'm going to get on the phone with the Pentagon right now, and I'm going to try, <laughs> try to find out what happened to my orders. And See? then calls him up and says, hi, I'm Paul Gorman. I am here at Camp Stoneman right now. I'm supposed to get on the boat to go to Korea, but gosh, I don't have any orders. Can you help me out? And, uh, you know, probably in a case of this hand not talking to this hand, the person at the Pentagon just calls Stoneman and says, hey, this guy's supposed to have orders, so I'm, I'm going to send him mm. right over. That's And, uh, yeah, That's and uh, it, it was that, uh, you know, it, I think it was that attitude of, you know, hey, I'm mm-hmm. not going to have, have anybody put me inside of a box this big. I'm going to That's do cool. what I need to do in order to. In order to be um, of the amount of usefulness that I know that I can be, and I think yeah. that's
1: amazing. Yeah. You know, the that's one of my favorite fiction. stories in this. Yeah, book. yeah. I mean, to to go to that length, right? You know, and and to really make it happen, I love that.
0: You have to have but. some spitfire and hood spa to do that. Oh too. yeah, because you yeah. get in
1: trouble. Like you're going
0: to get in trouble, you know. Right. But then yeah. I think if you got caught they're gonna look at you and go all right you really want it that bad you know what i mean you might get like a pat on the wrist but it's not um, like
1: he's running um,
0: away you know right no he wants to serve that was one of the things he told me too
2: he said they probably knew Mm -hmm. all along at least on some level what Mm -hmm. i was doing and they they probably knew that it was a ruse but you have to remember, Mike, this was 1952 and it was so rare to find anybody who actually wanted to go to Korea. Exactly. That's probably why they never asked any questions.
0: Exactly. Like, you know, there's that saying it's about true. ask for, uh, beg for permission. I mean, beg for forgiveness instead of ask for permission. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, mm-hmm. that's a thing. But I, I really, this pigeonholing thing is a very important thing mm-hmm. right now as the, it's not just this country. I feel like we're in a reinvention mode. Mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, politics, let's not even, I mean, everybody's resigning and being, you know, put away or whatever, you know, across the, 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 around the world. It's just like, what the heck is going on? So there is Mm -hmm. reinvention and maybe a renaissance going on political leadership. um, But there's also personal reinvention going on for people. And it's very important to Kind of figure out who you are and what you want to do and stay true to that. And it's maybe you have to do other things to make that happen. But it's very difficult. You musicians that we interview, artists, uh, writers, look what you do. You know, you know Mm -hmm. who you are, what you're, what you're, you you know, you're, this is history. That's your thing, you know, Um, whether you're teaching, doing speaking, engagement, writing, you know, that's who you are. And I think that's a very, um, you have to have self-respect to be able to pull it off and know yourself, and mm-hmm. give yourself that breath. An artist cannot do good art that's authentic without having the integrity to the art that they're supposed to make and create. A musician can't do it. So I think it's really important whether you're in a corporate job and going mm-hmm. through college, I mean, I know you teach, isn't this a very good um, an important lesson for college students to, you know, it's hard. I mean, going to college, maybe you didn't want to do what you're doing and then you want to change and you have to really yeah do a shift there and people might get mad at you because it's expensive (laughs) yeah so I think it's a that's a good lesson Nancy you've been good at that you know don't pigeonhole we're the blend you can't pigeonhole us right no
1: the thing is you know when the more you learn the more you shift your ideas and then you're like oh I'm gonna go and do this and then, you know, six months later, with a bit of education, go, oh, man, I really want to go do that. But then so you, you shift over and you start doing that. And then it's like, oh, man, I really want to go do that over but that, there. But that's a good point, you know, too, because,
0: and, yeah, because yeah, he wouldn't and, have been able to pull that off without him knowing about where there's a weakness to be able to go, hey, I want to go here. So he he did he like know how the communication was between the different places, the different, you know, stations, yeah. do you think?
2: He had to have known about it on some level. I mean, you know, yeah. for him to plan it out like that, I, I, I bet he knew that there were gonna be some points of friction and that, you know, the information wouldn't exactly be real time across all the channels. So, yeah.
1: Wow. But, you know, I think when a person's that dedicated and it's not like he's, he's doing something bad, Mm -hmm. you know it's not like he's trying to to run away he's running towards something and and you know to me if you're a leader you would take one good look at that and like hey let him run let's help Mm -hmm. him as opposed to oppose him just so that you can say you have to do what I told you to do it's Mm -hmm. like thinking ahead and thinking well what's our end goal if Mm -hmm. this guy so you know wants to do this and it's a good thing it's going to help but isn't that also them. good leaders? Good them.
0: leaders, good leaders, want to hire people with more ideas than themselves. You know, they always say, like Richard Branson always talks about that: mm-hmm. hire people maybe younger or not. You know, age isn't always a thing, but who have fresh ideas. And let mm-hmm. them run with it. Don't be, you know, there's, a, I think ego gets in the way. What do you think, Micah? Do you think ego kind of stands in the way of people being able, like you have to have yeah, a certain amount sure. of spa ego, ego to do it. But yeah, as a leader, you you have to get over yourself to be able to let the, mm-hmm. the good stuff happen to achieve the goal.
1: Right, so I sometimes agree. When you look at how we are now, like Lisa, you're saying the political is of that is not so good. I think that our leaders are way too old. They're too old. Uh They've been in no, they've been in (laughs) office for so long, and you know, with the advent of the she's waiting for you
0: to run for office, Mike. (laughs) Yeah, do
1: it. Um, You know, I have to take a shower
2: every five minutes.
1: Yeah, really. You know, it's like with with the internet, things are so fast. You know, like we get in information so fast compared to 30 years ago. You know, I'm thinking when people are on the field and they're going into combat, there's, we have information now that you can barely get it to the people that need to have it before new information comes in again and it's all changed. It's, Mm -hmm. I think it's far more, on the one hand information, yes, it's good. It's a good thing to get the information as fast as possible, but it's almost too much too fast. Hmm. And, and can you get it where it needs to be, and how do like, I don't know, like, when I think of somebody going into combat, it's like, oh yeah, go, ho- go over here and do this, and then no, no, go over there and do that, no, go over here and do that, you know, I think <laughs> it's way more difficult than people who haven't been in the armed forces to really assimilate and understand, that you know, I look at it, I'm like, this seems way out there, like um, because we at least at my age, we we're brought up thinking the military, it's this, 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 and you do it over and over and over so you get it right. Mm-hmm. And so that it's second nature. But I don't I don't know if that works today with how fast things change.
0: Well, no, but it's not even today. But I mean, if you read all of Mike's books, How More, you know, Paul Gorman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Russell Volkman I mean and he like talk about a badass we we get to Mm. talk about him in the next show right sure thank you because he 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 you know like these are all people that yeah you've got your training but they extended out no matter what happened they said okay we have to we can't conform exactly what you were talking about with Paul Gorman Mm -hmm. you can't stay in that box and survive through Mm -hmm. this and and achieve your goal you have to bust the mold
1: out of yep. survival
0: right. and Hal Moore did that too really mm-hmm. a lot of that you know but J.D. Vanderpool that's our next our next hero yeah. here that's your next book right mm-hmm. Coyote cool. Recon Why, what's the coyote that's... about
2: okay so there it yeah, is I wasn't actually kind say, of a right? funny story about how I came across that title so at first I really w- w- wanted to I really wanted to title I really wanted to title it Ghost Recon
0: you know,
2: because mm. I figured, okay, well, JD Vanderpool, you know, he's, he's moving in and out of these enemy areas. He's kind of a ghost. And to me, the title Ghost Recon really sounded cool. It really sounded tough. Mm-hmm. But then I found out that Ghost Recon is actually a registered trademark to Ubisoft. And it's part of a video game series oh. that I,
1: I had yeah. no knowledge.
2: Of. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, well, gosh, it's registered trademark that removes any possibility of me actually, actually yeah. using it as a title. So I started thinking to myself, okay, well, use the title that I first really wanted to use right off the bat. So what else do I have? I'll say, well, I want to keep recon in there somewhere. So what do I want to do? Do I want to call it fox recon? That sounds okay, but I don't know. What's another type of predatory animal that I can use? And I was like, okay, well... Box Recon, I think I can do better than that. So at one point, I literally just got on Google and I said, list of predatory animals, hit search. And I said, okay, well, (laughs) let's
1: see
2: what the almighty Google has to tell me. So I'm like, okay, bear, no. Lion, no. Snake, mm -mm." Uh
0: mm-mm. Yeah. Are we back to the creepy crawlies, why <laughs> can our conversation before we hit the yeah. record
2: button? <laughs> and, and then I saw Jackal, I'm like, uh, uh, oh,
0: and then Hyena,
2: and I'm like, come on, no. seriously? And then I went but, down the list of Coyote, and I saw Coyote, and I'm like, oh, that's it, Coyote, Coyote Recon, and then, th- 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 that's when yeah. I remembered, hey, Coyote is slang for somebody who smuggles people across borders, right. and that is exactly what Jay Vanderpool was doing when, uh, when, 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 uh, when he was a special operations leader. He was uh, you know, he was um he was uh smuggling people uh, across borders into the Philippines during World War II. You know, cool. he was doing the same thing in North Korea when he was uh you know in charge of uh in charge of partisan operations there. I'm just thinking, man, that's a perfect title. I and mean, then Coyote Recon, it flows. That's my yeah. title. That's
0: awesome. That's, man, cool. Man, that's cool. Yeah. cool. Yeah. So I man, like so tell yeah. So is he's based in Minnesota, right? Like
2: mm, in the
0: no. right per- no, no, he um
2: he actually grew up in Oklahoma, and he retired to Sarasota, Florida, and that's mm. where he lived nice. out the rest of his days. So,
0: wow, yeah. wow. So how did you find out about him?
2: So I first came across Vanderpool's name actually when I, I, I was doing research on Volkman and Blackburn, and oh, uh, you know. I really came across his name just, you know, as uh, as another American person who was involved in coordinating guerrilla operations there, and I never really circled back to it too much. Um, but uh, then it was one of my Facebook followers who was commenting on some other post I made. He said, "Hey, Mike, have you ever considered doing a uh, have you ever considered doing a biography on Jay Vanderpool?" And I said, "Vanderpool, you know, I remember that name." I remember coming across him as one of the liaisons to the guerrilla movements that were that were um, that were happening in Luzon. And I said, but, you know, uh, I never really dug too deep into what else he's done. I mean, if he's done anything else at all. And uh, I started digging a little deeper. And that's when I found out this guy has uh, an incredible career behind him. And not only that, I mean, his life story and his upbringing, even before he got into the military, was really just nothing short of amazing. And I said, okay, well, gosh, you know, he's done all this. How is there not a book out there on this guy? And how can I find any more, how can I find any more information about him? So I went back to a lot of my old old reliable contacts over at the army war college and the, uh, and the military history Institute there. And I said, Hey, is there anything at all that you have on this guy and it turns out that there was a big oral history that was done on him that has been sitting on that has been sitting on the shelves in their archives for years. So I was wow. able to get access to that. I was able to get access to a bunch wow. of the information they had. Um, started looking for any other publications where he might have been mentioned or just anything that he contributed by his own hand. Found a lot of stuff, um, but uh, I knew it was going to be a challenge right off the bat because. I started looking into his genealogy and he has been dead for almost 30 years now and so oh. many of his family members and people who had real-time knowledge of him have also passed on mm. um, you know for instance um, he's passed away all of his brothers have passed away his, wow. his his wife passed away about 20 years ago and oh wow
0: so that's hard the his marriage people. produced no
2: children yeah, mm. yeah. Wow. so he, he he had no children from his marriage and I think uh, his last surviving niece, his last surviving niece, just passed away two years ago. Wow! Oh, man. So I was like, you know, it was like I think the one person who may have had any kind of real-time knowledge about Jay Vanderpool, you know, uh, also passed away. So I'm thinking, okay, well, most of what I have to do, I have to rely on, you know, I have to I have to rely on genealogical records or uh, any um, any uh, any archival material that I can find. But wow. it has been a thrill ride so far because uh, because that book I have uh, I've I found out uh, just uh, an amazing laundry list of stories and all of these near brushes with death and wow. I'm just thinking man he fits perfectly right within the type of stories that I love telling you know these, oh, that's uh, awesome these it's it's
1: exciting yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean do you, do you these know rough like, and
2: tumble upbringings and man oh, they yeah. just make an entire career out of saving lives and. You know, doing great that's things awesome. that nobody hears about.
0: Oh, that's um, awesome! I'm so glad that it's exciting because I know it's it's you're working on it coming out soon in the fall, right. and so you're right in it. But it's do you like kind of go? Do you, does, do their stories keep you up at night? Like, do you they are do. you able? Uh, yeah, because to me, like I'll sit and write articles in my head, and and then go, what the hell? Why didn't I write it down? Get up, you know that <laughs> Seinfeld <laughs> thing where he tells a joke on a little piece of yellow paper and it disappears. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's stories. I mean, that's, I think I always say this on the shows with you, you know, you're, you're carrying the torch. Look at that. Like for him, he's passed on. I mean, there's no, you know, family carrying that torch for him, but to tell his story and then everybody that he was in contact and worked with, you know, you always put the stories first. And so we get to have that human connection. That we so badly need, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's also important. I always talk about, okay, the civilian side, but for the rest of the you know, military and those who have served and, and armed forces and, you know, um, they, well, you, you know, you're, you're part of that. It, it's a connection too. everybody wants mm-hmm. to know those stories. And I think it's yeah. just, it's super cool that you're doing it. So tell us mm-hmm. one, why he gets to be part of the life lessons. So he's saving people. That's cool.
2: Yeah, he is, and I think, I think the biggest life lesson there, at least one that I, I can think of right offhand, is to um, never be afraid to exert as many resources as you can if you know that it's going to help people and you know that there's going to be a very big downstream benefit of it, because there is this one incident in what will be chapter three of the book where he expends a lot of time and a lot of artillery ammunition taking care of one 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 small little little Japanese machine gun nest and uh Mm -hmm. you know he is directing what amounts to an entire battery's worth of fire onto this one target and he catches hell from his battalion leadership because of it they're like you know Jay of all the targets that we have, why are, are you wasting so much battery fire on, you know, on this one little machine gun nest that is on an island that's you know, only 100 yards off, offshore from where the infantry regiment's going? And he said, look, I had to do it because it's a small machine gun nest, right? But if you take a look at the uh, operational schematics, this one machine gun nest, because of its position and where it was concealed, it was holding up the entire right flank of the regiment's advance and if they got too separated go. from the left flank the whole operation would have fallen apart so i am not the least bit sorry don't expect me to apologize for you know for wasting a bunch of uh, 105 artillery shells on this because once i silenced that machine gun nest that's what allowed that right flank to catch up to the left flank it, he
1: sounds yeah. like shaka zulu you know yeah 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 he's, he's got yeah. it you i know? You, you I'm you never want to play
0: pool with yeah. him yeah <laughs> oh man that's awesome that's smart yeah. i mean you see that's it that's and that's going back to what we're talking about with Hal Moore about being cool and not mm-hmm. reactionary and just going right. this is mm-hmm. the da da. da this mm-hmm. is how well da, 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 i don't want to do that but yeah but you don't you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's thinking beyond and going you know again with paul gorman thinking beyond the box you know it's it's yeah it's always those hidden the devil mm-hmm. is in the details right man all those little things. Well, I'm excited about this book now. Yeah. So it's when do you too. think fall? Do you, are, are you allowed to say when or not ready yeah, to? So,
2: yeah. So it is. it is most definitely coming out this fall and cool. it is going to be, and I will let all of the viewers and readers know that it is going to be out in time for Black Friday. So it'll be out for the Christmas rush.
0: Nice. Oh, yeah, very smart. Very, a few before,
2: so.
0: Yeah, yeah, it has, to, it has to be there for cyber. We need to have a book, a book, like, you know, we have Cyber Monday and stuff, but we should have like a book thing.
1: Mm-hmm. I think we
0: need a new holiday just for authors and musicians. That's what, it, you know, that be but cool. it is Cyber Monday, but still, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, are you going to do an audio book with it?
1: Oh, yeah,
2: I sure am. And oh, as a matter of fact, spoiler alert, this is going to be one of the first audio books that I narrate
0: myself right oh, on yeah. right yeah. on that's cool awesome. that is cool awesome. yeah you know i think yeah. that's a really good idea that is a good idea and i think it's something mm-hmm. it's obviously a passion project it's developed into something really you know special for you so i'm i'm excited we'll, awesome. we'll finish it now okay <laughs> get, it, get it done we're ready we're ready you yes,
1: know. <laughs> yeah all right
0: military Mike we're excited uh for our next episode on you know leadership and and lesson life lessons uh from military heroes so I do want Volkman in the next one if possible I was like oh he's not putting him in (laughs) I I want him in there and Don Star. I mean but then it's like how do you how do we pick three and only do two shows on them because these are really cool stories and I think people can really grasp onto them and and the I most important it's, thing is everyone it's to go get the books. Yeah.
1: I think it's really important that um, civilians see people who protect us as real people. Yes. Instead of and like numbers as real people with real personalities, with families, and and see the things that they did as opposed to like newspaper articles. I I I just think they're so lame. It is sacrifice. And
0: you also said something really good about Jay Vanderpool, that um, doing something that's going to save people or help people in a greater thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that is a huge life lesson. When the chips are down, we tend to focus on ourselves. And sometimes you need to focus in something bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. to pull yourself out. And I think that is a very big lesson to learn. And I think that's, you know, what you were talking about with him, Um, helping, you know, helping people and saving people. We may not be able to save everybody or save people around us, you know, if we're not mm-hmm. in the military or, you know, a, a armed, uh, armed you know, defender man, or, you yeah. know, our, yeah, you know, but we can do things for the greater good and put ourselves out there. And I think that's a really big life lesson because you will feel better if you're feeling if you're feeling blue, go help somebody or help, help an go yeah, or something, care. you know. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, it'll move you forward. So, mm-hmm. but everyone, again, Mike's website is MikeGuardia.com and he's on Facebook. He's on YouTube. Go, oh my God, follow him on YouTube. Holy cow. You are busy on YouTube. Um, when do you get time to actually write your books? <laughs> Just, <laughs> you do. You do such a great job on YouTube. Burn a lot I mean, of midnight oil. Yeah, I'm like, dude, he's been busy. He's been busy, Um, but very cool for people to follow. And then also, of course, go to Amazon and you'll find Mike there. Just type in Mike Guardia and keep up with us at BigBlendRadio.com. Mike is on every first Monday. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike, and for sharing the stories.
2: Thank you, ladies. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you.